For renowned Canadian storyteller Louise Prophet LeBlanc, storytelling is more than an art, it's a duty. Why tell stories? I think that that's my calling in life. Um, stories are, are living things. Stories are always there to be remembered and to be shared. And if you're, if you're charged with that responsibility, you can't, you can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of that responsibility. I can't just walk out of here and just say, okay, I'm not ever telling stories ever, ever again because I feel responsible to the elders who have shared the stories with me. Louise grew up in Mayo, in the Nacho-Nayak-Dun First Nation of the Yukon Territory in northern Canada, where she learned firsthand from the elders of her community how to listen and then how to tell stories. In this Story Save podcast, recorded at Louise's home in Wakefield, Quebec, she tells us about the mentors who taught her, about the stories behind her stories, and why stories are a vital human need. This is Louise Prophet LeBlanc, storyteller, in her words. My real name, though, is Adana, which means beaver woman. <laughs> but it wasn't until I moved back to Whitehorse from Mayo to further my education when a beautiful book was published, and it's called My Stories Are My Wealth. And this was a total narrative compiled by an anthropologist by the name of Julie Crookshank. And when I opened up this book, I just, all my brain cells just went fired, like they just fired off, because these were the stories that I grew up with. And of course, my grandmother passed in 1964. And I had heard other people's stories since then, but many of these were the classic stories. So I just resonated to these stories. So there were three elders who were interviewed. One was Auntie Angela, who later became my mentor. She's my great auntie. And Kitty Smith, who I befriended, and she was all by herself, and I became a good friend of hers when I worked for mental health, so I was responsible for taking care of her. And uh, then the other one was my grandmother's cousin, Rachel Dawson, these three beautiful matriarchs. And what I started to do is to read these stories to my children before they went to school in the morning. Then I realized I could just tell them. I didn't have to read them. And I was approached by a wonderful woman. Her name is Shirley Adamson. She was uh, one of the announcers, uh, programmers there at the CBC. And I said, you know, have you read that book? And she said, oh, it's just magnificent. It's just wonderful. I said, yeah. I said, it's really in, just inspired me to remember more stories. She said, Louise, why don't you come to the station and read these stories on air before children go to school in the morning? You know, you come and you record them once a week, and then kids can hear them. So that's what we did. And I said, well, what I would like you to do is to, I want a budget so I can pay these old ladies. 
So that's what I did. I recorded the stories word for word verbatim, and then the $100 would go to Auntie Angela or to Auntie Kitty. By then, Mrs. Dawson was already gone. She had passed away. So that's how it all got going in the early 80s. It was very important to uh, maintain these stories. And then as life went on, I started to, I I began by working for mental health. And um, as a counselor, that's what I was doing. I was listening to people's stories. And it triggered something in my own brain that Sometimes people get into difficulties because they not, have not heard these foundational stories, which are the holders of teachings necessary to help a human being develop. So if you hear these stories from the time you're very little, you're not afraid of things. You have had a role model teach you things in these stories. These stories were going to be lost if somebody didn't start really recording them, like, quickly. I know that the anthropologist had recorded them, and that took her several years. So I helped to establish and was one of the co-founders of the Yukon International Storytelling Festival. And at the Yukon Archives, we we have over 500 stories that have been recorded from indigenous Yukon elders of those of that era. They're all gone now. Every one of them are gone. And um, so that's what we did. We invited people from all over the world, actually from the circumpolar world, to come and share stories and talk about story, talk about the importance of stories being builders of community and helping us to be better humans. That's what story is, and that's what I'm about, and that's, that's what I've been doing for the last 45, 46 years. The faith in the power of stories to help and to heal often means that Louise chooses her stories based on an audience's need. You tell a story that's appropriate to the moment, but as I kept trying to tell um, different programmers, you know, they said, well, what story are you going to tell? I said, I don't have the foggiest idea until I get there. Some people need a sad story. Some people need a happy story. Some people need to cry. And some of these stories will help. So what I refer to these stories as are... Um, These stories help us with our emotional intelligence. You know, so many people are shut down emotionally now. They they hold on to their anger, maybe. They hold on to their fear. They hold on to things that have happened to them in the past. So um, they can't express themselves emotionally. Or they've been traumatized. Many of the people of the... you know, past generations going to residential schools or having faced tragedies in their lives. They've never had an opportunity to grieve or to express grief. And so some of these stories express grief. 
and help people to get in touch with that emotion and realize it's okay. It's okay. Most storytellers that I know, they have to move around. You're, it's a, it's a, what I refer to and when I was mentoring some young people, I said, You're, you are a, it's a full body experience as a storyteller because you become the animals, you become the voice of the people, your body depicts a land, it depicts picks a temperature of what's going on outside in nature, sometimes the sound of the bird or the animal, the, uh, the likelihood of some trickster, you know, you have little moves and things like this. So it's a full body thing. It's not just about voice, it's about full body. So you have to, you have to move around. So sometimes that's very hard. It takes a little while to read an audience, um, and that's why I guess a storyteller needs light. It can't be like a blasting down of a the theatrical light onto the storyteller because we have to see people. And um, sometimes you can even pick out the people that need the story. Not everybody comes to the story needing it or using it or appreciating it. Some people just come for a performance. And that's what I've noticed as a indigenous teller, that there is a difference. And the difference being that when you're telling the story for teaching or for healing or for helping a person in a deeper way, it's not a performance. People need story. They need to have somebody else's experience so that they can carry on with their own life. So that's the other thing about story. It helps people to hear, hear somebody else's story or a story that is about them. Like I can see people in the audience sometimes when I tell a story. I look at them and they, they, their face is saying to me, that's me. That's me. Those people that shared these stories with me originally are all gone. And, you know, I'm one of 11 children in my family. I know I'm not the only storyteller. There's a few that tell stories. I know my brother is just now getting into it. Um, so different people are chosen by certain elders and they they give you those stories to keep and it's not like you just don't keep them in your head but you have to share them part of keeping is sharing and sharing at the right time so it's not just in performance it's it's like now you and I are sitting across from each other Maybe a story might be popping out of my head that I, I should be telling you a story. That's, that's how it is. And so in keeping these stories, you keep them alive 
and you keep the original author's memory. Leaves, Paul. All the different mottled colors of the red. All what has turned to brown now. So beautiful. We're in the uh, Gatineau Park and uh, not very far from the Wakefield River. It's a little river that dumps into the Gatineau, which is on the front street of Wakefield where I live now. So we're definitely in Quebec. Trees are pretty big. But uh, just walking along these leaves here reminds me of my younger years, you know, when I was a child, when I was older, tromping through the bushes after all the leaves have fallen. In 2018, after decades of performing and working to preserve the stories in her culture, Louise recorded her first album through the Story Save program of Storytellers of Canada. In it, she shares stories from four of her many treasured elders. She named the album Honoring Their Stories. For Louise, it was only natural that her first recording project would shine a light on her mentors and all their precious lessons. These stories are, they resonate with me because they talk about real issues. They talk about emotional trauma, and keeping your wits about you. Talk about courage. I'm talking about perseverance. Um, I'm talking about belief. And, uh, you know, touching upon energy that, you know, for the most part, people don't tap into anymore. And that's how the people survived for thousands of years. We depended on that. I was very, very privileged to have as many elders in my life. And it, it just seemed that I didn't have to go looking for them. I just found myself in their company very easily. And they just shared stories with me. These elders told me many stories. Um, but definitely, you know, I had to, number one, honor my grandmother, Ellen Prophet. And she's the one that got me going with stories, actually, without me even knowing it. Because when we would go and visit her and we'd be in bed and she'd start telling us stories and we'd fall asleep inevitably. And then the next night she'd say, okay, Louise, you tell the story up till when you went to sleep. <laughs> Wasn't paying attention. <laughs> that was a good teaching. So then that meant that I had to listen. And she kept listening, closely. Louise absorbed it all, and her storytelling now seems fully inhabited by the elders that she's learned from, the story characters that she plays, and the messages within. Each tale is infused with her relationship with those teachers. Okay, I'll introduce Auntie, Auntie Angela. She's actually the one, she was the force behind the Yukon International Storytelling Festival because she came down as a guest to Dan Yashinsky in Toronto. And when she came back to the Yukon, she said, Louise, I don't want to travel all that way down there again. It's too far, she said. We should have our own festival right here. We could do it, she said. So that's how it got going. 
And when she said, my stories are my wealth, she said to the people, and she told this to Julie Cruikshank, who wrote that book, she said, I got nothing to leave to my grandkids. This old house is no good for nothing, she said. It'll just fall down eventually. I don't have money, she said. I got enough to get by, but I don't have a lot of money to put in my will. But I do have stories. My stories are my wealth. And what that means to me is, if you have story, you have ability to share something. Even if you have nothing, you can share stories. Yeah, that's what it means to me. What I remember most about my grandmother is that she was very, very kind. She was kind to everybody. Whenever she would see somebody on the street that, you know, came in from the bush or whatever, she would always invite them over to her house to have some a meal. And if they didn't have a place to sleep, she always had a bed for them. Um, she was very um, concerned about children, the well-being of children. If there was any children out, you know, at night, she would always put on her jacket and say, how come you're outside? How come you're outdoors in a dark time? Where's your parents? And she would go and talk to their parents. She was, I guess my grandmother was very protective. She was very smart. Although she never read, she was illiterate, she would ask me to read her things so she could understand, like she wanted to cook certain things and so she'd say you read it to me from this cookbook and we'll make it together um she uh she could build anything she could build a boat outhouse nothing was nothing was hard for her in that way she could build anything she was a hunter great fisherwoman you know she would round up her her buddies there all over the age of 70 and and um, my grandma was the younger of the bunch you know she was in her early 60s and so she they would get a taxi and the taxi would hook on the boat behind the taxi and take them up to Mayo Lake and they'd fish there all day cook fish there set up a tent it was like wonderful life to be with her and she loved to hear stories and she loved to tell stories one of those stories is a tale that Louise calls Blue Shoes, and it's recorded on her album. It's the story of a gift given to Louise's grandmother by a settler, but it is a gift that leads to jealousy, and as the story teaches, nothing good comes from that. Well, the story about Blue Shoes, I remember my friend Marilyn and I went over to visit Grandma, and... Uh, you know, after school or something, we went over there. She was in her, she was in her, her cache. She was cutting meat and she had a little smoke going there and everything. And just, she just started telling the story. And she said, uh, after she finished telling me the story, you know, my, my girlfriend and I, we said, did we steal something from Grandma? Like, did we take something, you know, like, without even realizing we had taken something? Because the story is about theft. 
And so I think that's really important. Like sometimes people don't recognize that they have taken somebody, something from somebody without even being conscious of it. And that can destroy a friendship or it can strengthen a friendship. And of course this story is also about the crossover between the newcomers and who were already there. So I wanted that story uh, to stress that point in history about when there was different cultural exchanges going on, one not knowing the other. But my grandmother, I guess, was a reconciler. Sam Peter, we call him Gillingshan. That means um, old man hat. He used to wear this little hat that came down like this. So that's called the old man hat, Gillingshan. And um, Sam Peter was married to my grandmother's first cousin, Lucy Cho. And she was like my godmother. When my grandmother was dying, she appointed her to take care of me. Um, I'm talking about in a sense of, you know, make sure I, I live right. So uh, Sam Peter was married to her. And my uh, old auntie there, Lucy Cho, she, I think she was the tallest woman of the Nacho Nayaktan people. She was very tall. She was about maybe five foot eight, five foot nine, which is tall for the women particularly. And, and Sam was a short man. He was maybe five foot two. I don't know. But um, I used to go visit them, go drink tea with them, and they would tell me stories. And he told me an amazing story about Atsuaman. Um, and it's about a little lake. That lake is very important. Because there was an old woman that lived there. She was a healer. She's an old lady, but despite that, he said, you know, we took my old grandpa out there. He was sick. She was a healer. Here she had a little boy. Well, it's none of our business where that little boy came from. And uh, nobody asked. And I guess one day, you know, she's walking by the lake with her little boy. And as it is, you know, with children, if there's rocks in the water, rocks go in the water. Kids will throw them in there. And that's what that little guy was doing as his old mother was walking along the lake with him. And uh, as he was throwing the rocks in there and she was looking around for other rocks, sweat rocks for her little sweat lodge and here a big jack grabbed that little boy and took off with him out and she hollered at him hey she hollered at that jackfish giant jackfish bring back my boy of course the jack has already went underwater so that old lady got busy and she cut down little spruce trees like this and limbed them and then she uh, got all the dried branches at the bottom of the spruce and she, she uh, piled those all up too. And she took those little pieces of those little logs, skinny logs on the spruce tree and she made rafts. And she put that dried brush on top of that. And then she took her sweat rocks from her sweat lodge and she placed those on top of those rafts. And then she got one of these big torches and she lit her flint. She lit the first torch and she lit the first raft. I don't know how many rafts. She made quite a few of them. And she pushed them out onto the lake. They were all on fire. Pretty soon that whole lake looked like it was on fire. And then because that those spruce trees were fresh, 
the pitch is like gas, you know, it's just really burning really hard and it's heating up those stones. And as the spruce itself is disintegrating after being burned, those rocks are red hot and they start to fall into the water, fall, falling like this into the water. And pretty soon that little lake was just bubbling. Hot. And that big jack just surfaced, cooked, dead. And the old lady ran right out into that, that lake. It's not that deep. She ran out there. She had a, a branch with a hook, hook branch on and she grabbed the fish and she dragged the fish back, threw it up on the, on the shore of the lake, took her little stone knife there and opened up the guts of that fish, pulled pull all the guts out. Too late. Her little guy there is already digested. Just bones in there. Well, the old lady didn't give up. They say she took a fresh moose, moose skin that's never been used. Eh? It's been smoked and tanned. She placed that on the ground. And she took this fresh uh, spruce bough. She put that on top to make it a sacred place, I guess. And then she took the bones of her little guy and she placed his skull there, his little shoulder bones and his little arms and ribs and everything. And she, she placed all those bones there. Then she wrapped him up in that moose hide and moose skin. Then she prayed over him. She sang over him. Hey, they so that they say that that old lady there, she sang for four days and four nights. She never ate, and she never slept. She just sang over her little boy's bones there. They say on the morning of the fifth morning, that little guy came out. And Sam said to me, when he finished the story, he said, yeah, some people in this town, that's their great-grandpa, that boy. So that's about Sam Peter. Well, I could relate to the old lady. I'm trying to sing, sing some life back to the world. I could relate to her. The healing properties of story and their inherent value to generations of people, these are fundamental ideas for Louise, and they are front and center when she talks about storytelling and reconciliation. I think this is uh, the point in which two communities come together is around story. I think the significance of some of the stories that I tell relative to reconciliation are about those stories of strength, stories of um, independence, stories of a time when we really trusted our know-how and depended on nobody but ourselves, you know. And we knew that a strong family, a strong community, we could 
grow and thrive in that community. So that's all about reconciliation because what ha what's happened is that there are two communities in Canada. You know, legally, there are two communities. One exists under the law of Canada. The other also exists under the law of Canada, but also under the Indian Act of Canada. And few people know that. They just think, oh, well, they're all under the same law. But we have two sets of laws. And, um, you know, for the most part in many of these stories that I share, and I like to think that uh, we had governance too, and it was based on reciprocity. It was based on, you know, taking care of our environment, taking care of people around us, taking care of ourselves. And all that was ripped away. So, yeah, I think in sharing some of these stories with uh, Canada, with those people that are interested in history, interested in what went down, but also interested in to understand, um, um, how would I say this, the intelligence of those that have lived here for thousands of years. That's very important to me. And that's part of reconciliation, is to share knowledge. What is your knowledge base? You know, we have a canon of what I refer to as orature. It's massive. And so few people have been able to get in touch with it. They just read stories in a book, but that's not the same. It's different. You're reading it through your own mind's eye. You haven't been at the ground level with the people that live there and you know they know the smells they know the lay of the land they know how to use this to use the land so part of these stories is to re-educate not just you know non-indigenous um, community members but educate ourselves as indigenous people that we come from a very strong people Whenever I tell stories in the classroom setting, I always indicate to the children that they have full permission from me. They have my full blessings. Whatever they remember from the story, I want them to share that with a friend. So that's how I encourage them. Mm -hmm. I'm not stingy for story. I don't mind when people pick it up and share it, you know, as long as they give give acknowledgement where the story came from originally. That's important. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I'm calling it, you know, what it is, is to honor, honoring my mentors, is um, they should do a similar thing. If they haven't done that already, is to record these people who have lived through the last century. I think that would be a great gift to all Canadians, to all students, to all children, you know, all, everybody here in Canada should hear other people's stories. I think that's important. We have to keep this, this, this has been practiced for, since the beginning. People sitting around a fire, you know, trying to eke out a little life and hardships and 
different environments, they told stories that encouraged each other. That's why I think stories have to be continued to be told because these stories are to encourage each other. Mm -hmm. You can find Louise Prophet LeBlanc's album, Honoring Their Stories, in the Story Safe section of the Storytellers of Canada website. Since 2002, the Story Safe program has been recording and sharing the work of Canada's master storytellers. It is a project of Storytellers of Canada, Contour du Canada and is supported by the Canada Council for the Arts and our many dedicated listeners. Louise Prophet LeBlanc's album and podcast was generously funded by the Conseil des Arts et des Lettres du Québec. Thanks for listening. <laughs>